Hey, this is Ron Funches, and you're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. It's funny. I hope you like it. Why not book a Yuck Yucks on tour show for your school, fundraiser, or next corporate event? Go to yuckyucks.com and click on Hire a Comic. Let our experienced agents help you put together a show that is right for you. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy. I don't think so. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. With your host, Jake Hirsch. That's right. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. I am your host as always, Jake Hirsch. I am honored to be here as your host. And uh, thank you for all the amazing support. These episodes are getting some real great traction and uh, some great feedback so far as well. This is some of the finest work that I have done. So that should probably tell you the quality of work I've done in the past is probably pretty cr- No, I'm joking. <laughs> Hey, guys. Thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Honestly, it is a huge honor uh, to be the host here. And just every week that I get to spend at another Yuck Yucks club is is just mind-blowing. To be around such great, uh, talented people, uh, and I know it probably sounds like I say this every week, but every time I meet a new comedian, uh, it's really like sitting down with someone that can offer you great sage advice. Now, don't get me wrong. I've sat down with some people <laughs> who, who, who haven't really offered a whole hell of a lot of advice. Uh, but for the most part, I think everybody I've sat down with for the Yuck Yucks comedy podcast has been absolutely endearing to me. Lots of great advice, sage advice, especially in the world of comedy. And as you know, I am just, I'm a toddler in the world of comedy. Uh, I've done like maybe five or six shows, and uh, just to be around such great talent and experience only adds more to that. I, I just I try to I'm like a, I'm like a leech. I latch myself onto people, and I just try to suck all the information off of them as I can. I just drain. I just drain them of all of their experience, all of their expertise. And all of their advice in the world. So if you meet somebody out there that I've interviewed and they just seem deflated and have zero answers for the world, that's probably because I got to them first. Yeah. Jake Hirsch, squeeze the life out of them. Uh, this week is no different. My guest this week is Mr. Tony Crollo. Tony Crollo is such a fascinating guy. It was really... Uh, it's just an honor sitting down with this guy. He has got over like 50 film and television credits as a comedian, actor, writer. Uh, he's performed stand-up throughout the world. I mean, we're talking Canada, yeah, United States, Europe. I think he's even done the Middle East. Uh, he's done festivals all over the place, uh, corporate functions uh, all over. And and some of the commercials that when we actually talk about that stuff, uh, uh, you know, we talk about some of the the roles that he he uh, he got to do over the years, and and even some of those residual checks that are still rolling in there for the Crollo Meister. Uh, it's just a, a great story, uh, and it was really touching. Actually, uh, I got to go see Tony perform, and I really prefer doing that. I mean, I do a certain amount of research, but I also like to go watch people perform in their natural element, see how they are with the crowd, uh, see what their comedy is like. It's something better uh, than YouTube, than just watching a video clip of someone perform. There's something really 
uh, amazing about someone, uh, you know, performing live right in front of you. And that way we can talk about, uh, you know, just some of their, some of their material and some of their insights and, uh, you know, where some of these things come from. Was it personal experiences? Are they stories? You know, are they just, uh, you know, tidbits about, uh, current events and stuff like that. Just, you know, interesting insight and, and, and Tony's comedy, man, it was just watching such a seasoned experienced performer up on stage. It was, uh, I, I have a very difficult time explaining it. And especially like when I explain it to people, um, I've gone on, I've, I've attended shows before where, where, and I'm, I'm not talking about, um, you know, these are just like my own personal experiences going out to some comedy clubs, uh, out and around Canada. Uh, and I've seen some headliners get up on stage and it doesn't feel like they're headliner material. Tony Crollo is a headliner and, someone who has just got it down to such a great rhythm. And it, it was just such an honor watching him work. He knows the crowd so well. Uh, and, and even if it's the first time in front of that crowd in particularly, uh, it, it, he makes it look really easy. And, you know, I got to sit backstage with him and, and we chatted for, I think it was like 30, 45 minutes. And it was just an absolute honor uh, to sit down with him and actually watch him uh, perform. Um, I can't say that enough. And I know that it's, it probably feels like I'm repeating myself, but, uh, when you get to watch someone perform live, sometimes, you know, you're waiting for something bad to happen. And, and, you know, I talk about that a lot in some of these interviews, I, you know, you wait for something, you know, for a heckler, um, or for, you know, the crowd maybe to turn, they don't like a joke, um, something like that. And I've seen, trust me, I've seen people you know, have to dig themselves out of certain situations or, you know, a heckler in a crowd might turn the wave of, uh, attention and, and the energy in the room right around. And with someone like Tony, you can just feel confident that he owns the room. There's very few comedians out there that can do that, that can just own the room that when they're in the room talking, people pay attention. There's a certain presence. There's a certain energy that they, you know, exude out there that is just so professional that you're looking at someone just say like, wow, this guy, you know, definitely knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. So when I got to sit down with Tony backstage and talk about his years in comedy, talk about his experiences, talk about some of the crazy stories, you know, how he grew up, how he got into comedy and what his life is like now, you know, 20, 25 years later down the road. It's a fascinating interview. It's a fascinating listen. I hope you guys stick around to listen to the entire thing of it. Um, don't turn off because it's a short interview. Um, but uh, it's it's you know it, it is also tough to do interviews when when people have just got off the stage. You know, there's always a crowd of people waiting for them. There's you know pictures. People want to have autographs, all that type of stuff. So I tried to slip this one in uh, as I could, as quickly as I could. But it is a great interview, one of my favorite ones. Uh, and, and Tony, of course, uh, is a booker as well for Yuck Yucks. He uh, does a lot of the festival bookings or all the festival bookings for the comedians. And we talk about that, too. We talk about, you know, going from the stand-up routine, uh, years and years and years working on the road, to having a family and settling down and having something a little bit more consistent uh, Monday through Friday uh, that, he can, uh, that he can work at to be close to his family. And it's a very interesting uh, story and it's very interesting, you know, some of the things good and bad that come out of that, uh, those opportunities. And um, anyway, let's go talk to Tony Carrillo. 
And Mr. Tony Crowell just finished an amazing set here at uh, Yuck Yucks, the Calgary location. We are live on location here. And uh, Tony, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. What a great segue. <laughs> I just finished the plate of nachos and Tony Crowell just finished the set. <laughs> I, I almost couldn't get it down. I was laughing so hard, man. Uh, what, oh, a, what, what amazing comedy. It, oh, it, thank uh, you so much. It's not very often you see so much polished, polished stuff, you know. Uh, especially, I have been doing it a long time. <laughs> how long have, have you been doing it for? Uh, man, like 26, 27 years. I wow. think I uh, started doing improv and sketch and taking um, theater sports and Second City classes and uh, doing the group thing and then just had trouble getting together with people all the time. So ended up migrating into the stand-up right. part and... Just because then I could count on myself showing up for the gig and stuff, right? <laughs> so, rely on anybody. I've always wanted to be in a group, but I ended up being forced into solo act most of the time. <laughs> but I've still had some um, done some side troop stuff as well. So. Wow, you know, and it's it's such an amazing thing because obviously for people that go out into the comedy clubs and, and are able to to go out and see live live performances, a lot of people like that I've talked to, they don't really understand how much time people have put into comedy for a career. Right. I it think when you see case that it was something like uh, you start to get really good around year 25 or something like that. <laughs> At least uh, 10 years in, it really takes 10 years. Um, and now the latest, of course, is um, Amy Schumer is another one of those overnight sensations sure. that 10 years in the making um, yeah, you just can't just come out of nowhere and do it. You really need to kind of go under the radar and have done every place and just um, just polished your style and act and the words and everything to make it all uh, so perfectly delivered that it seems like you just came up with it. That's the right. whole key to doing it is that you've just come up with it, but you've just come up with it perfectly delivered. Right, mm-hmm. right. It, yeah, it's all about that presence on stage and the... Delivering the timing and, and everything else. It's all going to make, make perfect sense for you. Let's start back at the beginning, though. You were born, out, you were born in Montreal. Uh, yes, yes, I was. And, and, but you raised where? In Oakville? Is that, is that right? That's right. Um, yeah, I spent the first uh, couple of years of my life in Montreal, but the whole uh, separatist thing that was going on was like not for me, so I moved. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very early political views. <laughs> and my parents soon followed when they agreed with my politics. Yeah. You had um, a- <laughs> I'm a complete, everybody in my family is French except for me. It's all uh, Roy and Sear. Wow. I'm third cousins with Patrick Roy, the, no uh, the goalie. Yeah. All of that. But um, yeah, my mom was looking for work. My dad was a Croatian guy, came to Montreal looking to uh, stay in the country and needed to hook up with somebody. And so I ended up finding my mother, and uh, they hooked up and 
got me, uh, she got pregnant. I'm in the wedding picture because uh, <laughs> uh, they got married in June and I was born in November. So no she's way. got these flowers just hiding the bulge uh, there. And then once he got his paperwork, he pretty much took off. Oh, he was from split Croatia, so no shock. He ended up splitting the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you <laughs> speak a lot cut. about that stuff on the stage. Yeah, you yeah, actually, you, uh, you talk about it. I have some more Croatian life. stuff. I didn't realize there would be some here tonight. I, I should have Western uh, Canada seems to have a, a lot. More. But they, yeah, there is. There's a good Croatian contingent out here. So. When did you start getting into comedy? Like when you were growing up, did you were always you uh, wanted to be funny? Was uh, moved around a lot. Um, Sometimes, like, my mom and dad would get back together, then break up and get back together, and she'd move around, and we were always in little small apartment buildings in areas where there was houses. So uh, when even though I was one of the early kind of uh, broken family kids, mm -hmm. I lived in apartments that were full of broken families. It was just like that was just happening. Right. So uh, it didn't make me feel weird. There was all these houses, and then this one little six-floor apartment building, and everybody in there was single moms with kids or... Uh, <laughs> Uh, blacks or any other uh, <laughs> <laughs> ethnicity that was still just working their way in because it was Oakville, which was like all white or Italian, which right, was right. white. <laughs> <laughs> were, you a, were you a natural performer coming up? Were you always at so the So I would have to you know, be funny to uh, introduce myself to people. So that was my way of just kind of getting in. It was just finding humor. I uh, wasn't good looking enough or cool enough. So humor was my way of making friends and... Um, and having my mom work in shifts left me alone a lot. So TV was my uh, was my babysitter a lot of times. Right. I would be all alone and just watching TV. So I grew up watching sitcoms and watching stand-up and Johnny Carson. When I first uh, saw Johnny, that was like, wow, that's what I want to do. And Steve Martin was the first comedian that it was like, okay, that's the guy. That's that's exactly that's what I want to do. I saw really? Steve wow. Martin perform, and then I was like, that's the guy. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and who 15, else? 15, 16 at the time. 15 or 16. Yeah. When was your first time on uh, stage? So then um, to impress a girl, uh, <laughs> I went down to Houston. There was a girl that was in Oakville, and she moved down, and I went down to visit her. And um, we, she took me to my first ever comedy show. Was at the Comedy Annex in Houston, Texas. Right. And then I watched that show, and I was like, "Oh my God! Wow! There's this is the thing." I, you know, I realized it was on TV. I didn't realize that it was in clubs. That that's how you get to TV. Is sure. You do these shows, and then the uh, uh, MC was like, "Hey, we got an amateur night. If you uh, think you're funny, come on back and uh, check that out. Do it and." be funny on Sunday night and the girl she turned to me and was like you're funny you should do that and I was like okay I wanted to impress this girl and um, so I went to do it and uh, I got there and the show was on at 8 30 said show up at 8 o'clock they gave me a list and there was 12 acts and I was the 11th act oh on that God. night so wow. I was practicing all week figuring out what I was going to do and then I had to sit around and wait for two and a half hours <laughs> and then I just memorized the guy two before me and then I just watched the show, and then when I heard that name, it was like, oh, I'm on in two. And then I went out back trying to memorize everything that I right. was going to say, and it was uh, okay at best. I got a couple of laughs. <laughs> people were talking, not really listening. I made a couple of jokes to get people interested in me and um, forget a couple of stuff. But I did okay, and I felt like I was doing all right. But the whole time while I was uh, figuring out what I was going to do, my girl was 
hanging around the bartender <laughs> and uh, <laughs> afterwards is how you really find out because, uh, you know, you get into the business to pick up women and so it's like you live or die by your set. So my first set was okay. And then uh, I go back there, and she's like, you were hilarious. That was the best. And the bartender's like, hey, so you two a couple? And as I was about to say yes, she said, uh, no, we're just friends. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't that funny after all. <laughs> and I knew that I needed to be funnier if I was going to pick up girls. Did you, <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you know at that time when you stepped on stage, though, that this was something that, that, that you were born to do? Um, well, I... I, I really got the bug, but then the guy said, hey, you should come back. Um, we're doing it again tomorrow night. Wow. Do so. And then instead, I was all about trying to win that girl back. And I right. was like, oh, maybe. And she said, you should, which I should have taken that as a hint. And we ended up not having sex the next <laughs> night. Never saw her again. And then it was probably five or six years before I ended up doing it again. But it did give me that little kind of you know underlying right. thing that said, uh, you know, this is your path definitely and then i took second city classes did some improv all that stuff and then i did stand up again um i was taking advertising in college and uh, comedy had come up i was always funny and was you know cracking jokes and it was like oh you're so funny do you do stand up do you do yak yaks and i was like yeah yeah well we should come down to see you and i was like oh then i should not be a liar and actually do it then because <laughs> I just said yeah and I didn't even know what they're talking about and then I looked up Yuck Yucks and ended up doing uh, Amateur Night there and doing really well and did it a couple of times and then I did our Christmas party at um, the Sheridan College course that I was doing and then that was it I, I never looked back and wow started doing it uh, all the time as I, every time I could and, and you ended up getting the funniest new comic yeah, within the first couple of years. So um, living in Oakville, I right. would go to Toronto, but there was also a Yuck Yucks in Hamilton, which uh, I was closer to, and they would do an amateur night. And uh, I started uh, getting little spots there, and they would do uh, an opener, a middle, and a headline act. And so the opener would get paid 50 bucks. I remember like doing five shows and making 250 bucks on a weekend. And wow. it was like, oh, my God, they pay you to do this. This <laughs> is amazing doing that. And then they had a contest. Uh, funniest guy in Hamilton, but there wasn't anything else in the country, and they gave like a 40-mile uh, radius, so you could come from anywhere from Kitchener or Toronto, and right. myself being Oakville, and there were some guys on that show, uh, Mike Wilmot, uh, Derek Edwards, these guys all made the finals, and I ended up beating them, and they've, of course, uh, eclipsed me and <laughs> gone so much <laughs> further beyond me, but boy, that night, it was mine, I was on third First guy was just kind of a khaki kind of act. The second guy was this really old guy that really bombed. And then I came in and just <laughs> nailed it exactly. And then everything else just kind of faded down. And by 10, 11, 12, 13, the audience was kind of tired. And um, the second and third place were not real comedians. And so when they announced their way, like third was a guy that did, he uh, painted his um, stomach to look like a face and then the lips were his belly button and then he pl pretended to play like a um, saxophone on the belly button to uh, why is everybody always picking on me Charlie Brown right so that wasn't comedy and then the other guy was a ventriloquist so I was just thinking oh it's just all kind of variety acts I don't have a chance uh, but I ended up you know being the winner as the, you know, the only true stand up out of the Top three. That is crazy. I won a trip to New York, got to perform at the uh, Stand Up New York, and 
um, stayed at the hotel the guest of Letterman stayed at no when he way. was uh, in New York when he was the uh, 12.30 show. Right, right. Met Phil Collins, and uh, yeah, it was a really great weekend. Some friends came out and hung out with me, and I thought, man, this is, uh, I am going to be gigantic. This is it. This and then <laughs> nothing happened for about 20 <laughs> some years after that. <laughs> you have got... Peaked early. <laughs> you peaked That's early. the problem there. Peaked early. <laughs> Oh man, you've got a ton of credits. You've 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 been in film, you've been in television, you, you've been a comedian, actor, writer. You, yeah, I would have to say definitely the man. sketch improv background allowed me to um, get into acting and getting commercials and stuff ahead yeah. of uh, a lot of the other guys. I was considered sort of the actor of the bunch, and uh, did get lucky and had a good run of uh, commercials when they were looking for kind of character. Yeah. Pieces and and a lot of award-winning ones and things that have been on world's funniest commercials, like in yeah. Australia and ABC. Uh, I didn't get like a lot, but the ones that I got were always kind of well-known or recognized, right, or you right. know, they were sort of interesting pieces and stuff. So yeah, I had a pretty interesting, varied career. And then the one movie I got, uh, good movie. I had a few, but I got one good. If you're going to get like one movie, get one that's like a perennial right. family favorite. And I got a part in the Santa Claus with Tim Allen, which Tim shot Allen, in Oakville, right. where I'm from, and was shot in the summer. No way. And so the outdoor, they had like fake snow, and I did this little whole scene where I'm a coffee cop. I don't even have a name. Like, you just look, <laughs> I'm third cop. from the bottom, and it's coffee cop Tony Crollo, because I spill coffee all over myself. The classic, like, you know, as you're drinking, you're looking up and then spilling coffee all over yourself <laughs> as this kind of um, uh, Santa Claus gets taken away by all the, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. His, you know, it's like it made the commercial like for the movie. I'm in it for maybe 30 seconds, but the commercial wow. for the movie had that one little piece because it was a big sort of <laughs> laugh piece. And I still get money to this day for that. You get that. the residuals. Yeah. No there's way. still little bits. There was like a five-year buyout. And then after that, I just started getting the amount that I made for those um, two, three days. Uh, and it would be like this little $2,500, $3,000 Christmas bonus that would no happen way. in the following June when Actra, the union, would finally you know, uh, figure out that money and just like, oh, hey, there's this. And then I would get this check in the middle of the summer and that's now that there's been the other Santa Clauses, there's less so. So now it's about <laughs> maybe five, six hundred dollars a year. But man, not bad. Still, not yeah, bad. Yeah, it's paid for itself over and over again. <laughs> Tell get one part. <laughs> get, a get a good one. Christmas family favorite. <laughs> Take me back to some of those early comedian days for you. I mean, the comedy, the 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 comedy scene back then was. I mean, you had to have some amazing peers back then. Oh yeah, you know, um, the sort of graduating class of guys that I started with were Harlan Williams, wow. who was gigantic. Um, and my first sort of opening set was um, uh, Jeremy Hotz as the MC. Yeah, you know, and Ron Vaudry was the headliner. Then continues to be one of the great. Headliners and Jeremy Hotz was not even headliner yet before coming to. Now you know him as one of the huge greats. Um, working with Norm Macdonald and uh, Tim Conlon, who's a, a great uh, actor living out of LA. Spent like a year and a half in Toronto and then yeah. got this uh, one part um, in. Oh, uh, wow. Now I can't forget. Oh my <laughs> God. But he made 30 grand and allowed him to move to LA. Really? And. Uh, it was a series of movies, like a horror kind of film. 
Damn. Damn. Oh, we'll have to IMDb Alzheimer's. it. Yeah, we'll have to put that in there, and we'll put it in later. We'll fix it, and then this won't even happen when you actually listen we'll to it. it right I'll out. say it. You know, so many so many uh, comedians, though, they mean that historically they, they do gravitate towards those markets, Los Angeles, New York. Uh, yeah, definitely. That, you uh, know, Yuck Yucks is, a, is sort of a, a stepping stone towards other things. Sure. Uh, right now, um, there's a big sort of backlash towards yucks as being anti, kind of an ageist thing because there's a lot of old guys just not working anymore. But right, you know, right. there was the idea was that you were only going to do this for a while and then move on to the next thing. But Canada doesn't have the next thing, which is right. unfortunate. So if you don't get to New York, you don't get to LA, you don't get a TV show, you just kind of keep hanging around, sucking from the teats of <laughs> the yuck yucks. And there's, you know, picture a dog with eight teats and 140 puppies just all fighting Getting to suck away at it, right? You know, you just feel like you should only do it a certain while, then you move on to the next thing or move right. on to theaters. Like in England, you know, you get a TV show the last six episodes, um, that's a series. That's enough to carry your next 20 years. You'll play in front of five, 600 people, you know, all across England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland and Northern Ireland and all that and Europe and stuff. But in Canada, you know, there isn't any of that kind of star system. Why so. is that, though? Is, do you have an, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, England knows how to do it. They don't have much of a budget, but neither does Canada. There's sure. so many talk shows, so many shows where just people just sit around and talk. Comedians will just sit around and say funny things in a panel right. about stuff. And, you know, there isn't that. There's, like, the social and the talk or whatever, but right. there isn't that. I mean, there's a bunch of shows, and just doing those things will, you know, get you notoriety and, and get you headline gigs in England yeah. and... That just doesn't exist in Canada. But in England, there is only English. You know, there's some American television. But in Canada, there's so much American television. Like, it's just right there. Absolutely. That uh, if it wasn't for uh, CanCon rules, having to have, you know, 30% of what you're showing has to be Canadian, I think there would be almost none because people just look to American as the way to go. And they don't think you're... Um, anything unless you're, you know, unless America likes you first. Right. Even though we hate Americans, we laugh at them, we hate them, but we want their <laughs> approval first, you know. So right. very few. Tragically Hip is like an example of a band that never made it in the States that was huge in Canada. Sure. But so many of them, you have to make it big in, in the States before you're anybody. And yeah. Jim Carrey didn't, you know, nothing in Canada and went down to the States. It all happened in Howie Mandel and so many of them. And you know, Norm and Harlan got some stuff, but when it was only when they went down Harden's and Mike Myers, you know, how many LA, things yeah. do anybody remember uh, Mike Myers doing anything in Canada? Nothing at all. Right. You have to go down there and then you can come back and then, you know, be a giant star. But then why, you know, why bother? But, but you've, you've managed to find a lot of success. And well, you can definitely get that. You can get a career. Like you can definitely, you know, get uh, a nice career and work a lot and, uh, and be happy and dress well and, sure. and see the world and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, there isn't, uh, you know, there's a Ryan Belleville's that had a couple of TV shows right. that have come back, um, you know, and uh, Sean Cullen, you know, big um, star, Mark Forward, some of these ones. Uh, um, that can still do it in Canada. John Doerr kind of back and forth and right, stuff. Right. But still, you know, uh, he had the Comedy Network show. But then, it, um, so I would say, yeah, he got more of his fame in Canada. Uh, and funny as hell on um, 
the JFL thing, mm -hmm. and then some American stuff that came from there. You, you know. did some writing for him, right? Yeah, I did some. Uh, no, uh, no, I did performing. performing. I was on his show. Right. I wrote for uh, a bunch of stuff. My friend Brent Piaskowski from Calgary, a hilarious comedian, great writer that worked on a bunch of shows, and he ended up putting me in um, some of his shows. Naturally, Sadie, I was a a regular uh, uh, character on that you were a security uh, mall, cop. mall cop. That's all I do is just. <laughs> I'm a very trustworthy kind of face, I guess, because I play all kinds of cops. My <laughs> my resume is just. Uh, it just looks like he's done a bunch of stuff, but it just cop, mall cop, security guard, <laughs> detective. <laughs> as long as you're landing a man, that's that's um, all that counts. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, sketch artist, please, sketch artist Joe. I have played in a series of movies called Eighty. Seventh Prince uh, Precinct at McMain. Something about um, law enforcement. Yeah, you're, there's something about me. In. Just seems like a, yeah. So he put me in there, and I worked on. Uh, I wrote on those shows, and worked on Latest Buzz. I wrote on those as well. Right, right. Um, you know, because you got to make a living any way sure. you can. So for me, it's just for twenty some years, uh, it was just either stand up, acting, writing, commercials, any of that kind of stuff, sketch, just uh, hosting things. I was always some way in the uh, show business. How hard is that, though, as far as laying roots down? I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, especially in the comedy business, it's when you're when you're starting out and you're you're starting to get those types of gigs, you're getting paid. Uh, it's it's tough to, to lay down money for a car payment or a house or to have these things where you don't know where the next check is coming from. And it seems to be like a lot of a lifestyle of a constant hustle. You're always out there getting gigs. And, and I know comedians that have come to Calgary that they'll try to do three or four gigs while, you know, while they're in town, just little shops here and there and stuff like that. How, how hard is that to be on the road? <laughs> you want to keep busy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, to keep sharp, but also uh, making money. In the old days, I really had lucky. I just hit when um, things were just really peaking. Right. And so when you traveled, your travel was covered. Uh, your hotels, you never paid for any night off. And and then you were working a good five nights a week. There was stuff. Uh, there was always five shows happening, wow. which Calgary continues to do here except for the summer. Right. But a lot of clubs are um, four, three sometimes, just mm -hmm. one show a night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, it's really difficult. And now um, you're responsible for a lot of your travel and a lot of your nights off um, they're just you know travel is so expensive and putting people up is so expensive and there's not shows um, during the week like there used to be just people used to go all right. the time to see comedy and you just don't have that anymore so it's really difficult to make a living and um, you just kind of hit the road and just kind of keep doing it and doing it as much as you can right but um Used to be a regular living. There wasn't that many people that did it coming through. You know, I was one of the you know, sort of new people. And, and as it expanded, they just needed people. So I was working. Uh, I remember spending some years because for taxes, you have to keep um, track of every day you spent, you know, on the road wow. uh, paying. And I there was years where I did 165. One year I did 165 out of 365 wow. days on the road. and. So now I can't do that. You get married, you have kids, you want to be home, you want to just kind of do the shows. And when you're on the road, you can't audition for commercials, so you kind right. of lose in that sense, you know. But uh, you just kind of do everything you can to try to make a living. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. And 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 you're you're you wear a couple of different hats. I mean, so to speak, you 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 do some work for Yuck Yucks. As, I as do well. now. Yeah. So uh, October 2010. I finally um, 
uh, took the job inside and became an agent booking comedians into gigs as well and not booking myself but just finding that fine line because there's different agents for different things sure and um i just realized that i wasn't able to continue doing this traveling i wanted to be home more i wanted to be around the kids right and uh the opportunity came up and um they had hired somebody to be a corporate and festival agent and they spent so much money and they trained this person they did everything they could and then she uh ended up being a dud right. <laughs> not working at all <laughs> and it was right coming into the big corporate season which is christmas time uh november december is the biggest uh, months when there's just so much stuff everybody's having christmas parties and they're hiring hiring comedians right and all of a sudden this person that they had hired uh, was lying and booking gigs that didn't exist and wow. clients that weren't there and credit cards that didn't uh, have all the numbers and stuff. <laughs> and it was just this huge, wow. oh, man, it was a scary, scary thing. <laughs> and um, the head of talent, Derek Supple, uh, was talking to me. We were good friends. We go way back, and uh, he would always come to me for ideas and help and figuring things out and booking shows and stuff. And he told me this, and he was talking about who they were thinking about replacing him with. And I was thinking as a comedian, okay, these don't look like good ideas, and this is going to hurt me. And sure. so I felt like I needed to kind of take one for the team. I was like, well, I could do a better job than these guys. Right. And uh, I really wanted to be more in show business. Sometimes I'd get together with other comics and hearing about festivals and hearing about people and i was like man am i in this business like i don't know any of these people i don't know what you're talking about i thought i was doing a lot and yet there's so much i don't know and not doing and and part of that and uh, the fact that i got a lot of great clothes and i wasn't wearing them and i was sitting around all day having no reason to wear clothes is like man i can go in the office every day and i could wear my nice clothes and be more into the business and help out all my buddies and you know comedians and it was kind of a dumb it's like everybody that size that they're going to become president uh, if you were smart enough and if you're really smart you would know that that's not a gig that you should be doing because there's always going to be a downside to it and a backlash on that but i went into it thinking hey i'm going to help out and get gigs for people sure. but there's way too many comedians and not enough gigs like i mentioned with the uh teats and the dog oh, and yeah, all that yeah, yeah, so yeah. You know, now I've frustrated and lost as many friends as I as I had, and and the <laughs> fact that people don't really trust that I'm, you know, being honest and not putting right. myself into gigs, and you know, being a comedian and working at the comedy agency is like, come on, buddy, there's got to be things that you're doing, and 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 people, if they had the opportunity to be in that position, maybe they would put themselves more, and a lot of other guys previously have maybe done so and have been dishonest so i can understand sure. where people are coming from but right. i have been as above board as i could possibly be and has been as honest as i could i've never pitched myself for anything um i'm not a club booker so the club booker you know puts me into gigs sure. as much as she would anybody else no more or less and certainly a lot less because she hears it from other comedians <laughs> as well so i'm looking at pretty much hanging up the hat because it's just i'm not working enough that really if you're going to do it you got to do it all the time that's right. how you stay fresh and sure. writing new material and so i'm really fading it out because uh i'm just not doing it enough you know? right right is that is that something that that you kind of envisioned yourself getting into though did you i never pictured that i would end up being this i thought i'd be a giant star with my own show that's absolutely the thing that i thought was going to happen but um you know it's i can see definitely that it's not going to and 
again, I shouldn't just be out there doing the shows if you're not doing it for the right reasons, which are, you know, to get bigger, to, you know, have a following, to be a big star, to mm-hmm. get your own TV show. Um, and to get laid, right? That's another one. People <laughs> do come to get laid, and I'm, I get laid. I got a wife. I got a wonderful woman. So really, that's the only reason to do it is to get the laughs and the feel the appreciation in the audience, which... You know, that is really hard to let go. I mean, tonight I had a, a really great set. It was such a great group and, you know, posing for pictures afterwards and yeah. just making people's nights. It's just, you can't beat that. But that's really only the last thing that I have is the only last purpose for me is just getting laughs and having audiences really enjoy me, you know. That's amazing. That's a, that's such a wonderful outlook to have, though. Um Again, though, that's got to be tough on relationships, being out and on the road for a lot of guys. I've interviewed a lot of comedians who said that uh, relationships are very tough to maintain. Absolutely. uh, Especially if um, your girl met you doing a show, right? right? So then they automatically assume that when you're doing shows, you're going to meet other girls. And you're like, no, baby, that's not going to happen. It was like, well, fuck, that's how you met me. So (laughs) obviously that is right. So that's the really hard part is if they met you that way, then they're going to assume that you're going to meet somebody else. It's certainly not the way it is with bands, you know. Um, my wife actually went out with a musician before me, right. so that's what made me look good in comparison <laughs> because uh, when they tour around bands, they get one hotel room, two beds, four guys, you know. <laughs> a lot of times uh, they end up going out with strippers, and those strippers go out and perform in that town, make right. a lot of uh, table dance money, and then get better hotel rooms, you know. That's... <laughs> That's the way to do it. So when she first came out with me, I was like, "You get your own room!" Oh my god, you know. So yeah, yeah. The best way for a comedian to look good is to go up after a musician because they're the worst of all the entertainers. They set the bar. They're the big cheats. And then of course they're singing songs about love and oh, and yeah. looking at women and looking directly at them. And they're like, "He's singing directly to me." So you're gonna get oh, a lot yeah. of girls, but. You know, comedy is all about uh, women are bitches, and <laughs> I got a small penis, and <laughs> you know, all self-deprecating. So, what girls gonna win? You're not gonna get the girls like you're gonna get them. Um, oh, a musician would. I had to know. You've been all over the world. You've you've performed in a lot of places. Yeah. What, what, what's what's been your favorite uh, f- favorite place to be? Uh, well, obviously, uh, just wherever the best shows are. I guess when you travel. And you're looking at great towns, but mm-hmm. you judge every town by audiences. And uh, I got to say, um, in the early days, coming out west, Edmonton, the really? first uh, yuck yucks, first couple of yuck yucks were unbelievable. Calgary was always fantastic when it was at the Blackfoot Inn, which is now the other place I right, mentioned. Right. But uh, <laughs> I've also really enjoyed England. Oh, England just loves comedy. Ireland, Ireland is some amazing places. places. Scotland, all those places. They just really love comedy. Um, I uh, really like to play on the English language and the subtle nuances of words and stuff, you know. Hominins. Like uh, Stuart. Yeah, homonyms. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I thought were puns, I turned out to learn that they were homonyms, as this woman yelled out tonight. Yeah, we got an English teacher telling me. So I like to play on words. Uh, Stuart Francis is another great. A comedian that does that, and he is a huge, huge star in England and does, mm-hmm. like, okay when he comes to Canada. He usually just comes to Canada to work on the material, sure. get, like, okay laughs, then go back to England and then get, you know, standing ovations with the stuff because they really appreciate the English language because right. that's where it all started, right? So, yeah. you know, England, Ireland, those uh, audiences just really love to laugh. They're very social people that, you know, go out all the time. And 
any shy countries, shy people tend to be really great audiences, and that's why Canada is usually uh, tend to be a really good audience. And now, you know, Denmark and Sweden and these kind of places have really been opening up as places that comedians like to perform because they're learning English and they're not very public and wouldn't expose themselves like that so they sure. really appreciate people that do Americans you know American audiences they're just like hey get me drunk I'll show my penis to anybody I don't care <laughs> so they're less impressed by stand up you know right, not right. As much. they want to see something crazy yeah so you go to the more shire kind of states you know sure. and sort of the Midwest tend to do better than you know New York and LA where yeah. it's just other people in the business in the audience most of the time you know or yeah. tourists that's yeah that's true very true um Especially with some of the uh, comedy that that you perform on uh, stage, it resonates really well with the crowd. Have you are you the type of comedian that that this is a lot of it is observational comedy stuff that happened to you personally? I know you talk almost about everything about is very life. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of it for me has to be real, um, and then you just kind of add the joke. You take something that really happened, and then you uh, just kind of punch it up with more stuff. So mm-hmm. for me, it's always just been take what really happened. And then spice it up and add, you know, add the jokes and then have a beginning, middle and end. I'm a very beginning, middle and end thing. So this kind of running gags with the names that I do is just that kind of thing that just keeps bringing people around and around. Right. You know, it's uh, one of the first things I do, one of the last things. And then you just kind of remember me as that guy with the big nose that dressed nicely (laughs) that did homonyms (laughs) especially like in this in this day and age right now i mean you've you've seen shows like we've got shows where there's uh, overnight sensations of of you know uh uh, last comic standing you've got these reality shows where they bring comedians up very fast you know youtube stars does that does that cheapen the art at all do you think the people that take shortcuts and 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 i'm not saying there's a lot of people that do last comic standing that have been in the game for a ton of time but is there anything about people that, that kind of take some of these shorter cuts where they get noticed a lot faster? Um, yeah, I guess there's always been that uh, kind of knock that you should you know, work a long way. But a lot of those shows, like you said, um, are guys that have been doing it forever right. that end up going on to TV. Uh, it's very rare that you haven't been doing it a long time. Sometimes people just get it right away. But there's that real mix where you need to have that performance um, and a look and the comedy that everything has to kind of come together and you have to have that business sense as well right mm-hmm. there's show business there's the show and there's the business and sure. and you need to uh, be able to promote yourself there's some people that just think i'll just do my stuff and someday people will find me and they might not you know you right. have to put yourself out there and and get noticed and do whatever you can to separate yourself um, from the crowd so it's uh, I, I don't knock anybody that's doing whatever they can to get noticed because it is just such a tough business full of so many people and and those kind of things uh, are a great forum certainly getting a chance on TV and the last comic standing it's just weird when they do those things where you got to be funny in a laundromat or you have to right. be funny and you know and they have these other kind of tests to make it and I understand that they got to make the show worth it but that's sure. you know that's not really stand up at all other than I guess you know I mean if you can make people you're dealing with distracted people so right. I guess you know being able to make people laugh in a laundromat would do something but that doesn't always necessarily necessarily mean that you're the best comedian that if you can do that you know yeah um but you have to find that combination of being a great writer and a great performer you have to write the material and you have to deliver it 
properly. Otherwise, just be a writer or just be a performer. You know, mm -hmm. but if you're going to do the both and and to just be a performer, you have to be pretty huge before you can afford to pay other people to write your <laughs> jokes, right? So as you're making your way up there, you have to at least be able to write enough material to get you to the point where you can hire somebody else. You know? Definitely. Before I let you get out of here, Tony, really quickly, you've had a just amazing career in comedy. You've, you've helped a lot of people out. You've, you've, uh... You're a wonderful suck-up. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it. Try to get booked on the next wrestling. Uh... Done! <laughs> Legacy-wise, when, when, you, when you're ready to check out of this game, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, my God, right? Legacy. That's the thing. You don't want to let go until there's something that you can leave behind. <laughs> my only legacy, probably uh, the most 8x10s of any comedian ever in the history. There's guys that have maybe three in a 20-year career. I get one every three years. I've had more pictures celebrating <laughs> my ascent and descent <laughs> into the comedy world. I'll be the guy that people will say, you know what, that guy looked good all the time, you know? And he had headshots, <laughs> they reflected that, dressed well. So uh, that, the old days, everybody looked good all the time. You dressed well. And He's Saturday night, it was man. suits, He's... man. You put on suits on Saturday, and now yeah. people are performing in shorts and... Um, T-shirts. Yes, yeah. and <laughs> sandals. Never wear shorts and sandals. I'm sorry. Pants. Pants, pants only on stage. Exactly. There's got to be a rule there. That would be my legacy. He wore pants every show of his life. <laughs> he dressed like a million dollars every show. Kept All right. It, kept it pro. Oh, Tony, thank you so much for doing this. It's my I really pleasure. Thank it. you for having me. Thank you. All right, and there you have it, the interview with Mr. Tony Crollo, consummate professional and one hell of a comedian. Nice guy, and uh, couldn't have asked for a better interview. Thank you very much, Mr. Crollo, for sitting down and doing that with me. Be sure to check him out. You can find him on the yuckyucks.com website. Hire him, book him for a festival, corporate event, something, man. This guy is, uh, you can't ask for anything better, I swear. I sat and I watched his comedy for a full hour, and he, he had me in stitches. So, hey, lots of fun episodes coming up. I'm going on vacation here in a couple of days. I'll be back doing a little, uh, you know, a little bit of fun out in Halifax and Sydney. So wish me luck out there. My first time going out to Eastern Canada, and I know I will enjoy it. I'll keep you guys up to date on all the fun stuff happening on there. Check us out on Twitter, hashtag YYCP. On behalf of myself, Jake Hirsch, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer Kira Williams, and, of course, our webmaster, Miss Camille, who I will uh, save my uh, congratulations for later, because I don't know if you want that announced on here, but I will say it to you personally. Congratulations, my dear. So happy for you. Stay tuned, guys. Lots of good shows coming up. We'll see you next week.